We are continuing our series in First Peter. We've called it Hope. You know, you all need hope. We need hope every day. Uh, you cannot live without hope uh, to tie your life to, to anchor your life to some hope. And uh, so we're continuing in a little bit of a um, little more uh, sensitive passage today in chapter 3 of First Peter. If you know your way around the Bible, you know that First uh, Peter comes late in, the, in your book, late in the New Testament. Peter is, a, is a, what they call an epistle or a letter written by the Apostle Peter to these believers that were scattered in what would today be northern Turkey. Uh, and he calls them exiles, strangers, foreigners, uh, citizens of God's kingdom, but they're living in this, in this somewhat remote, well, really a remote part of the Roman Empire at that time. And uh, kind of on the on the fringes there, and uh, learning to follow follow Jesus in that place. Whether they had been transplanted there from other places, whether Rome or Jerusalem, or if they were native to that area, is not completely clear. Um, but we have this this uh, body that that Peter is is addressing. And last week we talked a bit about you know the relationship of of uh, slaves to their masters and we talked about respecting authority or honoring authority obeying submitting to those in power which is what we're instructed to do today we're going to deal with a little bit more of life in the home so i know some of the things we're going to talk about this morning you might feel like well this doesn't really apply to me i'm not married um you know i don't have a spouse this is irrelevant to me but there's kind of some larger principles as we look in the topic of the uh, relationships in the home and how that impacts the kingdom of God. One of the subtle shifts in our in our American culture over the last several decades has been that the, the family home has has gone from being the place where we sort of gathered. It was kind of the social center of our lives and where now it's become a very private place uh, where we keep to ourselves. Even the architecture of our homes is has has changed in our neighborhoods has, has changed such that that, that we we really play into this privacy factor. I got a picture here of of the home that I grew up in. I think I've showed you this before, but that's that was my family home. They moved my parents moved there when I was uh, two or three months old, and uh, I left before they did. They finally left there after 42 years in that in that home. But you can see we had a carport, not a garage, so that means the neighbors could tell if you were home or not. People could see what you were coming and going. People knew what you were up to. And they could see when you got a new car. And they would stop by and say, oh, I see you got a new car. And those kinds of things. It was a very sort of public uh, way of life. Some of you older folks may remember when when friends or, goodness, even the preacher, right, would stop by unannounced, just drop in on you. Anybody remember those those times? And uh, no one seemed to mind that much. My mom, I, as I recall, would keep some frozen you know, good, like some cinnamon rolls in the freezer or, or uh, she always kept the, the cookie tin was always full when I grew up. It was always full of oatmeal cookies. And uh, that was because someone might drop by for coffee and you had to be ready. You had to be ready. Uh, today, it's not quite like that. Our families are, are I mean, our homes are, are pretty much closed to everything but family or, or maybe our closest friends. If someone is coming over, goodness, we clean frantically so that when they show up, they'll think we are always HGTV ready. It always looks like this. We, we wouldn't want folks to, you know, 
you know, you couldn't possibly imagine there'd ever be unfolded laundry on the couch or dirty dishes on the counter. No, no, no. It always looks like it's ready for a TV show. Look, we all love our privacy, but historically, one of the most significant ways that the, that the gospel spread and that the believers were discipled was in homes. It happened in the household. The early church didn't have church buildings. The believers met in homes. They met publicly, but they met in homes, just as they do today in oppressed countries. The household was a place of public display. It was, it was sort of the center of, of your life. Because you lived at that time much more intermingled with your extended family and your neighbors and your household servants who weren't so transient. Everything kind of really centered around the home. And in that way, the home, and especially marriage and family life, became essential demonstrations, laboratories, really, of the Christian message. And so for this reason, Peter, in this passage, also specifically addresses husbands and wives. Friends, I really do believe that a day will come when we will not as easily be able to meet publicly in a, in a public setting like this. It may not necessarily even be for the sake of persecution, but just imagine if we get into a hyperinflation situation and your gasoline goes to $8 a gallon. You're going to think twice about every time you start the car. And, uh, you know, churches with an established network of home groups are going to survive and thrive in those times and People are going to deepen in their faith with one another, while those who have put all their stock in buildings are, are going to really struggle. The Apostle Peter, the Apostle Peter understood this, and then the Apostle Peter lived this, this kind of home-based ministry. He'd done plenty of ministry in homes, his home, other homes. He one early um, episode of Jesus' miraculous work is that that uh, Peter welcomed him into his own home where Jesus miraculously healed Peter's mother-in-law. I'm not sure if Peter ever later regretted that move. Um, I'm sure it was fine. But, you know, then a few years later, for example, we, we've got this situation where Peter is staying in the home of a friend in, uh, in the city of Joppa, which is modern-day Tel Aviv. And while there, Peter saw this life-changing vision and led him to preach to the Gentiles. It completely changed his life and ministry. It was home-based Ministry, that was how it worked. And we have to get the church back home. Because the home is still the best and most important place to live out the gospel, to disciple one another, to learn to walk with Jesus for the benefit of others. It's, it's where we practice hospitality and care and fellowship and Bible study and prayer. And rather than sort of a hidden getaway from people, we, it's just largely what it's become. Our homes could become ministry stations to our family, friends, and neighbors. It's, it's why we, we promote these connection groups. And uh, it's, it's good for the church when we do that. It's also really good for you, and it's good for your neighbors, neighborhood. We can talk about that more in the weeks to come. Well, let's read the passage for the day. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. And I, as I said, a few, you know, Statements in here are somewhat shocking for us as Western, you know, modern Western people. I should maybe kind of should have set this up like a, you know, a Facebook post. Say First Peter one, First uh, Peter chapter three one through seven, truths that will rock your world. Number three will really change you forever. Something like that. I make it a little more exciting, but I didn't. Will you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We're going to be in First Peter chapter three, 
starting at verse 1, reading through verse 7. In the same way, okay, in the same way as what? Well, he was talking last week about submitting to authority, slaves submitting to masters even if they're unfair, um, respecting those even when we disagree, and, and, and submitting even when we have kind of a right for justice, we still submit to authority. Now, in the same way as that, you wives, wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. And in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Well, we thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. Well, I told you there's some touchy things in there, right? So, before you kind of throw tomatoes at me and charge me with a pitchfork, call me a patriarchal anti-feminist or something, let's... Let me, let me just remind you of our context here. Okay, we are we are in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. Men had absolutely unquestioned authority in their home, and they could treat their slaves and their wives and their children any way they liked, and there was no recourse. Um, you know, I'm not saying that all men were were jerks, but they could be if they wanted to, and it was there within their prerogative to do that um, is that I, I'm sure that you know look we as people haven't changed that much you know, over the course of history and so you know obviously wives had there were I'm sure most homes were very good and wives would obviously have their way of getting things done uh, as the saying goes the man may be the head of the household but the woman is the neck and the neck turns the head wherever it wants so we, we know that to be the case. But men had unquestioned authority in that setting. And so the household, including wife and children and servants, would be... Exp- Let me add one more thing. Remember, as the gospel message is coming through, the gospel itself is revolutionary enough, it's subversive enough, that the gospel writers, Paul and Peter and so on, they're trying to say, look... You live your life inside the system and you, you let it change from within. The gospel does not come in and barrage everything, say everything has to change. The gospel comes in and says, we are changed people. And as we live as changed people, the systems change. The Apostle Paul is often criticized for not addressing the, the issue of slavery in the day. Slavery is a, continues to be a problem and is a, is a terrible travesty of human rights. But Paul never said, slavery is wrong. All slaves must be, you know, set free. He never said that. Why wouldn't he say that? Because in that context, there was no way to, to just make that declaration. Rather, as 
as the gospel spread and as people became Christians, suddenly people go like, hey, we really shouldn't do the slavery thing. This is really bad. And eventually it, it fell away, crumbled apart. It keeps coming back and having to be defeated over and over again. That was the situation. So in this Roman household of the day, which would include wives, servants, children, and so on, they would be expected to adopt the religion of the head of the household. And anything contrary to that might have been considered rebellion. So let's say a wife becomes a Christian, a follower of Christ. That would be subversive and it could go very badly for her. It could be very difficult because, well, he says we worship Zeus or something like that. And she's like, no, I worship Jesus. And so you've got this conflict. So now in that setting, Peter really wants them to, to understand how they were actually perfectly set up to demonstrate the power of the gospel in these conflicted home settings. So we're going to dig into a few ways that your household life, and I would say your, your broader you know, personal life, can reflect Jesus. So if you're taking notes today, pull out your, your insert. You're going to follow along here. Our household life reflects Jesus when? And we're talking about three different things. And even though verses 1 through 6 are specifically addressed to wives, verse 7 specifically husband, there are some broader principles here at work. And, uh, and so we're going to start with this one. Our household life reflects Jesus when we honor each other in words and actions. We honor each other in words and actions. To honor means we elevate, we lift up, we give, we give you know, preference to one another in our words and actions. And I would say especially actions. If you pick up partway through verse 1, he says, Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, speaking to wives about their husbands, your godly lives will, be, will speak to them without any words, and they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Now, this is just not like a simple formula, but there's a kind of a principle behind this where your life is an influence for the gospel for others. There are some couples, some families I've seen who do this really, really well. They honor each other in what they say and what they do uh, in front of each other and behind their backs. They, they resist sarcasm. They resist the urge to be, you know, sort of a passive-aggressive approach. They, 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 uh, they won't, you know, throw those sort of subtle teasing insults at each other. They don't do that. They, they speak well of each other. That's honoring to one another. Peter says that when we get this right, the unbelieving family member can actually be one to Christ because they see what's happening. There was a, a situation that happened in our life a number of years ago when uh, in a previous setting we were church planners and one of the, one of the first um, people to come to Christ was this uh, gal, um, 30-ish, early 30s maybe. Uh, she married two kids and... Uh, a friend invited her to church and she heard the gospel message and she, she said, I want that. I need that in my life. She was at a place with lots of some health problems, just struggles going on in her life. She said, I want what, you, I want what you're talking about. So she prayed to receive Christ and got her with a small group of women and in a home group and they were discipling her and, and she was just really growing her faith and she really wanted her husband to come and be a part of this. Now, I met her husband, who was a friendly guy, nice guy, but came out of a family that was very kind of opposed to anything to do with religion, Jesus, God, church, none of that. Nice people, but not interested in the least. 
And we invited them to come and be a part of things. No, no, it's okay. So she would come with the kids and she's growing and growing in her faith. And a year or two goes by and he's softening. And one day he comes to me and he says, um, I think he'd actually come, started coming to church a little bit. And uh, he pulled me aside and he says, I, I just want to thank you for everything you've done for my wife. Well, I hadn't done anything. I preached the gospel. The gospel got a hold of her. She was happier. She was off medication. Her work life was going better. Her, her kids were better behaved. Everything was as she was submitting to Christ and still submitting to her husband. Her life, the whole life was changing and he eventually came to Christ because he could not deny the great things. He had to admit his life was a whole lot better with her following Jesus than without. That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. So I would just say, don't be that, you know, family or, or that couple or just that individual um, who's hard on each other or hard on other people just because, you know, it gets a laugh. Or um, you might be resilient enough to, to handle it, but it does not represent Jesus well to others, to those around you. It does not display his gospel of grace, his message of self-sacrifice, of reconciliation, of love. You, your life can demonstrate all that if you'll pursue Jesus and be loving and kind to each other and submit to the authority of the head of household. Now, don't use this verse as an excuse to never speak up about the gospel. There are plenty of instructions in Scripture to tell us to, to, to speak, to, to proclaim, to declare, to sing, to make known the goodness of God. That's, that's a given. But if you're not going to talk the talk... I mean, if you're not going to walk the walk, maybe don't talk the talk. Let your life demonstrate it and add your words to that. So we honor each other in words and actions when we do that. Our household life, whether you're a single couple or family, your household life will reflect Jesus when you honor others in words and actions. Second lesson that that Peter kind of lays out here is, um, for how to reflect Jesus in our household is when we make character a priority over image. We make character a priority over image. Now, specifically, as you saw, Peter is addressing women and the outer and expensive adornment of jewelry and elaborate hairstyles and fancy clothes. It's really kind of funny to think, you know, you think about ancient people and you think, well, what kind of fancy things would they have done? Well, they stuff like they would they would take gold filament and braid it into their hair. That would be stunning, wouldn't it? It would just be beautiful. But very expensive and very time-consuming. You can just imagine. And um, so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about this. I'll try to do this without getting in too much trouble. Um, let's see if we can grab the principle here. Okay. So we have all met that person in your life who just looks amazing. Every time you see them, they just look amazing. But you've also met those people who they, they look fantastic, but as you kind of get to know them... Their character is sort of a turnoff. Well, you look good on the outside, but that uh, not really that nicest person to be around. And Peter is by no means advocating being unkempt or careless or, as we like to say, letting yourself go. It's not what he's talking about. But he's saying, don't invest in your image at the expense of your character. Don't don't invest, for example, more of God's money in your hair and your makeup and your wardrobe 
than you do in God's work. And I would say this applies today to men as much as as to women. Don't don't invest in the image things at the expense of investing in your character. And I know it can swing vastly to the extremes as well. I grew up in a home that, like some of us here in this room, it was very conservative uh, on these matters. My mom, for example, my mom and my, my sister, um, my sister is the oldest of our, our four siblings, they did not have pierced ears because based on what was taught here, that was considered ungodly to have pierced ears. That was considered unnecessarily outer adornment, attract, you know, attracting attention to yourself, which I understand the principle of that. Uh, my rebel brother got an earring before our older sister did. So it didn't say anything about men not getting earrings. So um, it's kind of a conservative household. Even even now, um, some some guys will feel guilty if you're not wearing a tie to church because that's how you were raised. Or or women who just can't imagine doing anything less than Sunday best because that's how you were raised. It, Look, the pendulum goes both ways on this thing. I, I've been in churches where, you know, the dress down image is utterly important and you stick out terribly if you wear khakis and a, and a button down shirt. Like, you know, if I were dressed like this. So either way, whether it's super casual or super dressed up, super fancy or super unfancy, either way, outer image can be used to mask the character, what's going on on the inside. It does not matter to God what you wear. Listen to this. It does not matter to God what you wear, but it matters why you wear it. It does not matter what you wear. It matters why you wear it. So when it comes to attire and grooming, for example, just be sensitive to the people around you. Be mindful of that. My goal here is I just want any friend that you would bring to church to feel comfortable and, and feel like they can relate based on how you all look. They're like, oh, yeah, these people look normal. I guess this this works. That would be important to me. Now, what messages more than your appearance is your character. You can dress as cool as you like or as nerdy as you want. But it will not take long for some to discern what you're really like. People figure it out. They feel it. They sense it pretty much right away. You, so... You know, I, I, Peter puts it so beautifully in verse four, um, partway through verse four, or um, we'll just pick it up at the beginning of verse four. He says, "Clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God." I, I just love that, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody who are just, they're just beautiful just by the way they, they walk into the room and just the presence of Jesus is with them and just like, oh, that's beautiful. That's, that's what Peter's advocating here um, rather than investing in all the outward look. And, you know, I just wonder if you would make it a, a priority to be inwardly beautiful. Don't you think that inward beauty would leak out to outward beauty as well? In some ways, an inwardly beautiful, gentle, quiet person. They're not argumentative. They're not boastful. They're not pushy or bossy or nagging or rebellious. They're gentle. They're respectful. They're kind. They're uplifting. They're encouraging. And that's beautiful. No matter what the outer look is, the color of your hair, clothes, any of those things. Unless you think 
that Peter is somehow putting women down, somehow being oppressive to women or advocating weakness for women, I want you to notice just something in verse 6. Halfway through, he says, You are Sarah's daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands may do. Now, true beauty and real gentleness and, and submission to the authority or leadership in your household is not weakness. It's courage. It's courage. It's courageous. It's strong. It's bold, he's saying. He's saying this clear witness to Christ and how you live is not weak. It's actually very strong. And you do so without fear of what your husband's going to do. So you love and respect, but you say, I'm, I'm following Jesus, even though I'm submitted to your authority, but I'm following Jesus. Kind of a very complicated time for some of those. And, uh, and even in the case of wives, notice that in particular, notice in verse 1, um, Peter just starts by saying, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, or literally your own husbands. So he's not saying, hey, all women are should be oppressed and repressed and and men are, are you know, all men are better. He's talking specifically about the that marital relationship to your own husband. And just as Jesus submits to God his Father and we the church submit to Jesus, so also the husband follows the lead of Christ, submitting to Christ, setting the family direction. And in this relationship of husband and wife, it's meant to mirror or reflect or demonstrate the relationship of Jesus and his bride, the church. The church is not in charge. Jesus is in charge. And where scripture teaches us that it's the same kind of relationship between husband and wife is the same as Jesus and his bride, the church. Now, Peter singled out wives, but he's going to speak directly to the husbands as well. So... Uh, guys, this is uh, this is for us. As your your household reflects Christ Jesus, when a husband treats his wife as Jesus would, when a husband treats his wife as Jesus would, verse seven lays it out. Let me read that whole verse. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Okay, there's nothing in there about controlling, oppressing. Lording over, there's nothing about that in that in that verse. But he does say she may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Jesus laid down his life for the church. Husbands lay down their life for their wives. I, I again, it's just, there's some loaded statements in here. Weaker, talk weaker, really. Okay, well, if I have an arm wrestle with my wife, I guarantee I will win. I can brag about that all I like, but it's, it's kind of true. If we have an argument, she'll probably win. I get that, okay? We're not talking about who's better in, in this setting. The reality is that a husband's role is to protect, to care for his wife, physically and emotionally. That's his job. In a spiritual sense, he's the, he's, he's the protector as well overseer it's a it's a role of strength so a godly husband protects his wife he does not make his wife carry out 
you know, the bulk of parenting and discipline duties. He, he shares household responsibilities. He, he leads the way in good stewardship and financial restraint. That's what you do, man. Speaking specifically to husbands here, I know this only applies to a small segment of us this morning, but this is really important that we capture this. A husband who elevates his wife is going to say no to some things so that he can say yes to her and honor her. Don't make your wife a work widow or a sports widow or even a ministry widow. I've made that mistake in my life, being so busy for Jesus that I've neglected my, my wife and my kids. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't be like that. It does not honor the covenant you made to love and cherish her above all others. It does not honor the gospel either when you neglect her, even if it's for the sake of ministry. Now, not only do we husbands need to do right by our wives because we made a vow on our wedding day, we said that's what we do, but we risk sabotaging our own prayer life if we don't do this right. Okay, think about this, guys. Peter's saying, hey guys, God's not going to listen to you if you're not taking good care of your wife. What? God's not going to listen to you if you are not honoring to your wife. I'm going to throw a little challenge for the husbands today. Okay? I, I would, of all ages, don't say, well, I've been at this long enough that I'm exempt from this. Or, well, I'm just getting started, so this doesn't apply to me yet. No, this is for all husbands. Take some time this week with your wife. Sit down with her. Sit down on the couch. Ask her, how am I doing? Do you feel honored? Do you feel cared for and do you feel protected? You are not allowed to be defensive or to make excuses or to get angry or to pass judgment. You're not allowed to say, yeah, but, but, yeah, wait, that's not, no. Your job is to honestly just shut up and listen. Just be quiet and listen. Open your ears. Hear what she has to say. Let her tell you what she feels. Peter says to be understanding. So do that. Be, be that. Be sensitive. Be tender. Be, be an unselfish, godly, loving husband. If you have an uncompleted honeydew list, guys, get on it this week. Fix that broken sprinkler or replace that burned out light bulb, or whatever else it is that you've been putting off, if this is beyond your capacity, you hire someone to do it, or ask a friend, or in some way do that. Um, don't, uh, don't make her keep up the car or the cars. You do that. Maintain the house so that she feels loved and secure, protected, cared for. Pursue her. Engage her, yes, but take care of her needs. Love her and treat her as Jesus would. I have some comments for some younger people and singles. Those of you who may still be dating. Um, this will be maybe more relevant in our 11 o'clock service today. But let me just briefly say this. Um, ladies, don't. If you're. Those of you who may be in a dating stage or you're going to pass this on to a friend who's dating or in that looking for that. 
Don't put up with a guy who does not honor you. Don't date a guy who makes demands on you. Physical, emotional, or sexual demands. That's not a good guy. He will make your life really hard. If he's selfish now, he'll be more selfish later. Look in his eyes and see what's going on. Guys, those of you guys who would like to be in a relationship, be awesome. Be unselfish. Be patient. Be kind. Be generous. Be pure. Don't date a girl who's all about image and not about character. Don't date a girl who pushes you outside of your godly boundaries. And it's great if she catches your eye, but the real beauty is from the inside. You'll see it also in her eyes, the window to her soul. You want your household life, your household relationships, and your extended family relationships to reflect Jesus Christ. And we do that when we honor each other in our words and our actions. When we make character a priority over our image. And when husbands and wives treat each other as Jesus would have us do. Will you bow with me as we close in prayer? God, we are grateful as always that you've preserved your word for us. That you've had these things written down for us to learn. We thank you for your inspired word. Lord, some of these things seem a little bit tricky or difficult, even archaic in some ways. But we know these things continue to be true. And just as Jesus, we want to submit to you as your church. God, we also want to submit to the authority you've placed in our lives. God, we desire so much that our homes and our household lives would be reflections of you. That our homes and our extended families would be places of grace and mercy and understanding. And Lord, clearly we, we're not going to get this right all the time. We're, we're, we're people, we sin, we make mistakes. But it is our desire to do this. And Lord, I pray that you would stir in each of us those places where we can do a better job of honoring one another so that the gospel goes forward confidently. We're really grateful for the way you work and you move and you provide in our lives. May you be made known from our communities to the whole world, we pray in Jesus' name.